Happy New Year, and uh, if you are here, uh, especially here for the first time, I'm glad you get to be here uh, on our first day uh, in the new year as a church gathering. Uh, some great things, we've already done one, uh, but today where we're headed is uh, very excited to share with you something that we're just entitling The Ask, and I'll explain a little bit more as we go, but uh, hopefully as you came in, you got a bulletin uh, and if you're brand new, uh, there's a, a piece of the bulletin uh, towards the bottom you can just tear off. It's our connections card. And uh, our desire is to see you really get connected in a meaningful way uh, in the community. And I hope as we go through today, uh, you're going to be pretty encouraged to say, wow, I, I really want to be part of this, that there's something special happening here. And I uh, want to invite you to be part of that. So filling out that card is name and an email, and it's our opportunity to uh, connect with you. And if it is a first time, we got a great gift we'd love to give you just to say thanks for coming. Um, now, obviously today is New Year's, and I think fresh on pretty much everyone's mind is New Year's resolutions. Now, I'm not going to ask if anyone's actually made a resolution uh, this year, but I think typically people love to make New Year's resolutions is because they consider what was in the previous year, and they're like, I don't want to just repeat that in this coming year. And so we make these things and these statements of I will do this or I won't do that in hopes that there will be some significant change or growth or maturity or just change and just difference in what this coming year will look like. And my heart for us today is not to talk about a resolution of sorts of what you won't do or what you will do, uh, but I really want to speak into what is it that God wants to do with you, through you, in you uh, this coming year. So this is not a message about making new resolutions and promise to do this and promise not to do that. This is more, I want to gear our minds towards what do you think God wants to do with you, in you, and through you this year? Now, my conviction, I, I mean this sincerely, conviction is I really believe that God wants to use you this year. I really believe with all my heart that God wants to use you to work with you and in you and through you to do God-sized things, not just to do things where I'm going to stop drinking caffeine or I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to start working out. Those are not bad things, but I feel like I want you to know that God has something so much bigger for you. And so rather than thinking about what you won't do or will do this year, I want you to start wondering and thinking about what does God have for me this year? What do I foresee? What do I want to see God do in my life uh, this year? Because I hope maybe a year from now, your testimony would be, man, it was such an amazing year uh, because I saw God at work in my life in unmistakable ways. So that's where we're headed. Let me pray and uh, share a few verses as we go through this. Father God, thank you uh, for being so good and kind and generous uh, to each of us. God, I give thanks for every man and woman that is here in this place today. God, I give thanks that you just, you don't know our names. You know us completely. Uh, God, you know our hearts. You know our soul. You know the questions, the fears, the doubts, the anxieties uh, that we carry. And God, I pray that today in this place, you would really uh, do something significant. God, that you would open our ears to hear from you of how you'd want to use us individually, but also as a church this year. God, that you would open our eyes to the things that you're already doing and inviting us to be part of. So God, I pray that today would be not just the start of a new year, but God, today would be something special. Uh, God, that we would walk into this new year with full confidence 
that you have great things in store for us individually, and God, that you have great things in store for us uh, as a church. So God, please give us ears to hear, and I just pray you'd be very generous to speak. We pray that, uh, Jesus, uh, in your name. Amen. Now, I've been um, thinking about today's message for almost eight months. I uh, don't usually plan that far out in advance, uh, but I've honestly been thinking about this in particular message uh, for about eight months. And I say that because last uh, late April, early May, uh, I came across a verse in James, and it's a verse that I was familiar with. It's a verse that I had heard before and had read and even preached on before. Uh, but I was really convicted by this one verse, and it's uh, James chapter 4, verse 2. And it says this, it's a very simple verse, you do not have because you do not ask God. So this was last May, May of 2011, and I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes when I'm reading a verse, God just says, stop right there and just sit with that for a while. And so I, I sat with this for a while, and um, you do not have because you do not ask God. And I was really convicted uh, specifically by two things. Number one is, at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was actually asking God for. I was kind of asking God for a lot of different things, but I really started to wrestle with, well, anyone can ask for that. What are you really asking God for? What are you really trusting God for, Michael? And so that was my first conviction. I wasn't very clear as to what I was asking God for. And my second conviction, which I think was even greater, as I started to really realize what it was I was asking for, I was really convicted with the thought of, wow, your God is really small, Michael, because your asks reflect what you believe about God. And at the time, what I was asking God for reflected a man who had a pretty small view of God. Now, I don't think I would have admitted that, but in the spring of 2011, I was really convicted uh, by this verse. And over the last eight months, uh, I've been really wrestling with this personally, been really wrestling this with Kyla. Uh, I've been not wrestling with Kyla, wrestling with this verse with Kyla, been wrestling with the elders of, guys, what are we asking God for? I don't want to be the church that's confused as to, we don't know what we're asking God for, and I certainly don't want to be the church that's not asking God for anything. And so we started a journey literally over the last eight months of what are we asking God for, both personally, uh, meaning what do we want to see God do in our lives? What do we want to see God do in our marriages? What do we want to see God do in our families with our kids? What do we want to see God do in the neighborhoods that God has, has strategically planted us to live in? And so we spent a lot of time wrestling with what are we asking God for on a personal level? And then we kind of began to transition into, well, what are we asking God for as a church? And one of the questions at uh, one of the elders meetings, this was in August now of 2011, I, I, I looked at the notes from that meeting or the agenda. One of the questions I asked was, would anyone in the church actually know what we as elders are asking God for? And talk about a wave of conviction I was like, I don't think anyone would actually know what we are asking God for as elders, and shame on us because we weren't making clear what the ask was, and we weren't really communicating, at least in a clear way, what that ask was. So again, I've been thinking about this for a really long time, and uh, 2011 for me has been a, a great year, a challenging year, a convicting year, a growing year. 
Uh, and a lot of it had to do with James chapter 4, verse 2. You do not have because you're not asking God. So this morning, uh, I'm hoping to accomplish uh, two things. Uh, I want to put before you, what are you asking God for? And I, I, I want to say quickly, this is not a resolution. I'm asking God that I could lose weight this year. I'm asking God that I could be more disciplined with my time. I'm asking God that I could... I'm not talking about a resolution that you can make. Those aren't like sinful, but I I really want you to leave here today almost as convicted as I was of what am I asking God for? And so that's the first question. And then today, the second part is I really want you to know what our journey over the last eight months has been as as elders, as leaders of the church. We've been meeting a lot over this last fall uh, and seeking God, praying of what are we asking God for? And we have some really exciting things of what we really sense the Lord has led us to ask him for this year. Now, we didn't make this up just like yesterday. It wasn't like we need a message. What should we tell people? This has been eight months in the works. Uh, now, that might not seem like a long time to you, but it's been a long process of, of praying and seeking, talking, discerning, wrestling, communicating with leaders. Does that resonate with you? Does this resonate with you? And uh, so those are the two things. What are you asking God for? And then secondly, what are we as a church asking God for? Now, uh, I quote him uh, pretty often, but uh, his man, a man's name is A.W. Tozer. And uh, before I share the ask of the church, and I really want to push into you right now, what is it you're asking God for? And uh, I've shared this quote before, but it's just worthy of sharing numerous times. But A.W. Tozer said this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Did you catch that first half? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How or what you believe about God shapes everything in your life. It shapes all of the decisions you make or don't make. What you believe about God shapes you. Now, God defines who you are as a man or a woman, specifically as a child of God, if you know Jesus. But what it is you believe about God shapes how you live. Now, uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, knew this, and so he told Timothy, a very young pastor who planted a church, he said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, meaning fight for them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. How we believe or what we believe about God shapes how we live. And so you can't divorce how you live from what you believe because the two go hand in hand. And so as I'm asking you, what is it you're going to ask God for in 2012? We start from the very basic foundation of, well, bless you, what is it you believe about God in the first place? Now, I'll ask another question. What is it you believe about God? 
Because Tozer says, and I agree with him, what you believe is, is, as he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God, it's the most important thing about you. So when you think about God, what do you think about? Is your mind flooded with thoughts of God is just so disappointed with me because of how I live or because of what I've done or because of what I haven't done? When I consider God, when I think about God, what I think about is God just must be up in heaven shaking his, his head and his big white beard of, man, you are such a disappointment to me. Or is your mind flooded with, when I think about God, I think about God and a smile on his face that I'm his son, that I'm his daughter, that he is pleased with me to call me his child. Is when you think about God, your mind flooded with thoughts of how God is holding out on you. That God is not doing what you want God to do. Or is your mind flooded with thoughts of God wants to use me in such a significant way to do God-sized things. Now, I could go through a really long list of what floods your minds, but I think you know what floods your minds. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you because it will shape how you live. How you decide what to do, how you, what you decide not to do. Now, as I've already mentioned over the last eight months, uh, it's been a learning year. It's been a convicting year. It's been a great year. But the thing that I have been learning about God, what's been flooding my mind when I think about God is this. God wants me to ask. Is I've been confronted with a God who is telling me, Michael, if you would just ask, if you would just come to me, if you would approach me, and if you would be humble enough not to try to do it on your own and figure it out on your own, but if you would come to me in humility and just ask, I would show you so much. I would reveal to you how big, how strong, how mighty, how awesome, how powerful I am if you would just ask. That's what the last eight months, what I've been learning about God. But the reality is it takes a humble person to actually ask. Because when you finally ask God for something, to do something, you're admitting to yourself and maybe those around you that, well, I'm only asking because I can't do it on my own. So therefore, I'm asking the one who I know can do all things, who's in control of all things, who's all-powerful. So I hope for us, as we go through this, you would be humble enough to say, wow, God is a God who's inviting me to ask. And rather than taking of the posture of, I'll figure it out on my own, or I'll do it on my own, or I know what I want, and I'll just kind of manipulate circumstances to make that happen, that you would be, wow, if God's invited me to ask, then I will ask. Uh, Jesus often in the Gospels confronted people with this question numerous times. What do you want me to do for you? Well, he would say that to a blind person. Well, Jesus, doesn't it seem obvious? But Jesus came to people and said, what do you want me to do for you? If you would ask, I would do. And in Matthew, Jesus said this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And then Jesus kind of poses this scene, this metaphor of comparing what we're like to what God is like. 
And he says, which of you, if the son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who what? Who ask him. I, I've been really excited these last eight months because what am I asking for? And I've been confronted again and again with Scripture, if you would just ask. And not just ask once, but continually come to God, asking and seeking and knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. Now, uh, I've already asked this, but uh, I want you to, when you came in, uh, this was sitting on your chair. Okay? It's uh, the front of the postcard says, the ask with a big question mark. Well, we put a big question mark on it because... We didn't know what you were asking God for. Now, on the back of this card uh, is James 4.2. And it says, uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then there's a little white box. I, I'm, I know you can understand the postcard. I don't need to explain it to you. But in the white box, it just says what I'm asking God for in 2012. This card is a very simple thing. But I want you to take this card and put it somewhere, whether it's in your Bible, on your refrigerator, on your nightstand, in a mirror in your bathroom, somewhere where you would see it every single day. Because I'm hoping that this card will accomplish two things. It will remind you what we as a church are asking God for, and you're part of that. You're being invited by God to participate in what God's doing. But it will remind you of, I know what I'm asking God for. I'm not confused about what that ask is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to write it down, and I'm going to remember it, and I'm going to ask God for this in 2012. Now, before you fill out the card with just the first thought that maybe comes to mind, uh, I wanted to challenge or encourage you with a few things. This is about what you are going to ask God for in 2012. So I'm going to give you very quickly a few things. Number one is pray about it, Okay. Pray about what God wants you to ask him for. Now, I know that might seem like a no-brainer, but I don't want you just to put the first thing that came to mind because the first thing that might come to mind is a good thing, but it's not a God thing. And what I desire for me, uh, and I'm going to share what I'm asking, what Kyle and I are asking God for, uh, but I want you to make sure that what you're asking God for is not a good thing, but it's a God thing. And actually share that ask if you're married with your spouse. Maybe share it with your kids as well so they can participate uh, with you in this. Share it with a friend, a neighbor, a roommate. Hey, this is what I'm thinking of asking God for. Good thing or God thing? And if they come to you and say, no, that's just a good thing, keep praying and ask, God, give me the God thing, the God-sized thing that you want me to ask you for. Number two is don't delay, meaning pray about it and get on with it. This is not take six months and be like, well, God, I'm not really sure. I'm not, I don't know what to put in that white box. That white box is making me a little nervous, and so I'm not going to put anything into it until I see a burning bush and you know, a handwritten note from you in the sky saying, this is it. My challenge, my encouragement, invitation, take 48 hours. Pray about it. God, what do you want me to ask you for? And then don't delay. Write it down and start asking. I would... I know I I can't say this for everyone, but I think generally speaking, you already know what God probably wants you to ask him for. 
because it's that thing that God has already been burdening your heart with in the past few weeks, in the past few months. I already have, I think generally speaking, you might have a good idea of what God wants to do with you, what God wants to do in you, and what God wants to do through you this coming year. And whatever that is that you've been thinking about, that's a good chance that's what God wants you to ask him for. Now, maybe for some of you, it's going to be, God, would you heal this? And it's the this is something that you thought was absolutely beyond repair. It was a marriage that was completely in shambles, a friendship, a relationship, a family situation. God, this has been defunct, derailed for a long time. And what God wants you to ask him for is that he would heal that, that he would transform that. Maybe your ask is going to be, God, this person is so far from you right now, they're not even interested in you. Every time I've approached them, invited them, talked to them, they laugh at me, they mock me, they ignore me, and they go the other way. Maybe the ask is, God, would you reach this person, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, my child, my neighbor, my coworker, my roommate, the person you thought was unreachable, maybe the ask this year for you is that God would reach them and he'd use you to be part of that. Once you know what the ask is, don't delay. Get busy asking. Number three, I would challenge you with this. Consider whether your ask is more about you or more about God. Because if it's more about you, that's a bad ask. That's not even worth asking. But if it's about God, that is a great ask. Go for that. Now, the difference would be, well, God, I, I'm asking that this year I would get that killer job that would land me the killer salary so that I can start getting that car that I've wanted and the clothes I want, and I can travel, and people would be impressed by me. So, God, would you please bless me this year so that people would be impressed by my stature and status and my employment and my bank account and the car and the clothes and my travels? Well, that's a terrible ask because at the center of the ask is you. And I love how James in James 4.3 says, when you ask, well, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. So that's a bad ask. Now, a good ask could be simply, God, this year, I want this to be the year, God, where I experience freedom from the anxiety or the past pain that has absolutely hindered my walk with you, my relationships with other people. God, I, I never thought it would be possible that I'd be free from this addiction. I'd be transformed from this hurt or this pain. God, would this be the year so that when people see me, they would see what happened? And God, my testimony would be, man, God has been at work in my life this year. Let me tell you about him. So number three is consider whether your ask is more about you or more about God. Number four, again, challenge, encouragement to you. Is your ask God-sized? or you-sized? Meaning, is the ask something that ultimately you could really do on your own? God, I, I pray that I could really go to the gym five days a week. Well, I'll be honest with you, with a little self-discipline and maybe a, a friend waking you up, you could do that. That's a you-sized ask. But I want you to pray about it don't delay with it once God reveals it to you and make sure it's not self-centered, but is it a God-sized ask? Ask. 
where people would consider what's happening with you, around you, through you, and they would have the testimony. Clearly, God is doing something with you. Clearly, the hand of God is just all over you. Now, my kids, when they pray, uh, one of the things they often pray is, God, I I pray that you would be with us. Now, that's a great prayer for a five-year-old. Now, at age 10, if my son Caden was still praying, well, God, I pray that you would be with me. My message to Caden, son, he's with you. What else do you want to see God do? Because God's already offered you his presence. Now, I'm not saying it's sinful because I realize some of you are thinking, I didn't know that was a bad prayer to pray. I'm not saying it's a bad prayer, but I'm saying God is, I, I can do more. You have my presence. You want to see my power. You want to see my authority. You want to see my holiness. You want to see my righteousness. So if he's still praying that five years from now, I would be concerned that Caden is settling for just man-sized, self-sized, you-sized prayers. So number four, is your ask God-sized or is it you-sized? Number five, and this would be the last one, act as if you believe God will answer your ask. So begin to live the ask out. So whatever your ask is, maybe it's, God, I really want to see this person who is so far from you come to know you, have a relationship with you, worship you, be in community with you. If you, that's your ask. Now, what you should not do is ignore that person for the next 12 months and then get to January 1st of 2013 and say, well, God didn't do anything. Well, God wants to use you to be part of answering the ask. So it's making margin in your life to build a relationship with that person. So whatever it is you're asking, begin to operate, begin to live and act as if God is going to answer that ask. Position yourself, be ready to act and respond that God is answering that prayer even when you don't know. Some of you, just it's a relationship thing. You're in such a messed up relationship right now, and if you're going to ask for God to transform, heal, redeem this relationship, well, you can't do nothing for 12 months. You have to take a step to say, I'm going to love, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to be generous, I'm going to be kind, I'm going to speak kindly, and I'm going to trust that God's using these small things to do a great thing to answer the ask of redeeming this relationship. Pray about it. Don't delay. Consider whether your ask is more about you or more about God. Number four, is your ask God-sized or you-sized? And number five, act as if you believe God will answer your ask. Now, I said this in the very beginning. I so believe with all my heart that God wants to do significant things in your life. And I'm not just saying that as the pastor sitting up here. I'm convinced that God wants you to have a testimony at the end of this year that would be from all of us. I saw God work in my life in a way that I never thought possible. I saw God work around me in a way that I never thought possible. I saw God use me and work through me in a way that I never thought possible. And you'd have that testimony because you'd asked. A lot of us don't have that testimony right now sitting here today simply not because God doesn't want to do those things in our lives, it's we're not asking. Sometime in the next 48 hours, please,
please take this card, put in your white box, God, this is what I'm asking you for. Now, within that ask should be multiple asks. Now, I'll share with you, this is what Kyle and I are asking for this year. This is not the only thing we're asking for, but the thing that we are asking for uh, is that God would do uh, a Class A uh, revival in our neighborhood. In the neighborhood, the little area where Kyle and I live, there are 43 homes. Now, roughly in those homes, I don't know exactly how many people live in each home, but there's a little bit over 100 people who live in our immediate circle. I don't know what you call it, but our immediate neighborhood has 43 homes. Now, God has planted us there for the past seven years. And over the past seven years, to my shame, we have not done a great job of building relationships and making time in our life to get to know and love and serve and engage our neighbors. And this was one of my convictions eight months ago. Michael, you want to see me work in your neighborhood, ask and then act like I'm doing something. And so what Kyle and I, are specific ask, what is in our white box is 12, okay? What we are asking for is that we would see in our neighborhood this coming year, 12 people either make a decision for Jesus or at least take steps towards beginning a relationship with Jesus. As best as we can, and I'm saying as best as we can, we don't think that there are any other Christians that we know of in our immediate neighborhood. Now, to me and Kyle, this might sound like a small ask to you, but I know our neighborhood, and this is a big ask. I know a lot of the people who live in our neighborhood, and a lot of them, they're pretty far from God right now from as best as I can tell. So what we are praying for, what we are asking, is that we would see God work in our immediate neighborhood that 12 people would either come to Jesus or at least take steps to come to faith in Jesus this year. That excites me. I'm fired up about that. Now, this is how, I'm, how Kyle and I are organizing, not just asking for something, but acting and planning as if God is going to do something. So what we're going to be doing each and every month is hosting community dinners for our neighbors. We're strategically inviting different neighbors in groups to come to our house. Now, I have no idea. They might say, are you kidding me? No. I'll tell them I've, we're Chipotle. They might come, but we're going to at least invite, and we're going to plan and host these dinners in hopes that through that, a new relationship would get formed. We've already got about six or seven people that we've been talking to and praying for, but we're asking God specifically for 12. We're going to invite them to be part of our community group. We're inviting them to come to church with us this year, but our big ask coupled with an action is, once a month, just once a month, we're inviting our neighbors in our specific neighborhood uh, to come and break bread with us. I probably won't use that term, break bread, because you'd be like, that is a weird term. <laughs> have a meal, have dinner. Kyle and I are really excited about that. We've been talking about it, we're praying about it, and so this is something that we as the Davis Five are asking God for this year. Now, that ask is causing us to ask for a lot more things, but in the most memorable way, 12 is our number. That's what we're asking for. What about you? That's my ask. That's Kyla's ask. That's us as a family. 
What about you? What will you ask God for? What will you trust God for in 2012? In the next 48 hours, write it down in the white box. And there's not much room, so don't write some lengthy dissertation on what you're... You don't need to justify the ask. Put it out there. Pray about it, and then write it down, and then enjoy asking God for that repeatedly. Now, us as a church, I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about what Kyle and I are asking God for, because I'm really excited about the people that you will hopefully get to meet this coming year that live in my neighborhood. And I'm excited about the testimony that I believe that we're going to have from hopefully a dozen people who are far from God, but now know God. And it wasn't because of me or Kyla, but we got to have a front row seat to seeing God work in our neighborhood. Now, I'm going to transition to what I'm asking for and Kyla is asking for and encouraging to you to make sure you ask for something. And I really want you to know as a church, this is what we are asking for. Now, as uh, this has been a really long process, about eight months of praying, talking, debating, discerning, wrestling, because we wanted to make sure that our ask really revealed and reflected what we believe about God. And one of the things that we had been praying about numerous times is, God, would you not only give us as elders unity over this, but would you give our, our leadership community, our broad-based leadership community, a sense of, wow, this is a great thing to ask for. This is a God thing to ask for. And so over this past fall, we've been having leadership meetings of, hey, this is where we're at. This is what we sense the Lord wanting us to ask of him. What do you think? And then we give it some time and then come back together and hear from our leaders and what our leaders were, were thinking. And it has been a great gift from God to us that what we have sensed the Lord wanting us to ask him for is he's given us unity in that. And so if you haven't been able to tell so far, there's a reason that there's 500 on the back of your card. What we feel compelled, what we feel convicted to ask God for this year is 500. We are a church right now that's a church about 150 to 170 adults that consider this church home. Consider this the community they're part of, the community they serve, the community they give, the community that they connect with. What we are asking God for this year is that God would use us and allow us to be part of reaching 500 people this year. Now, very specifically, what we're asking for, this is not just some abstract number that we're like, hey, what about this? I'm, I share with just really deep conviction that we feel led by God to ask him for this. We don't feel like this is a man-sized or a you-sized ask, as it were. We feel like this is a God-sized ask. Now, specifically within that 500, what we are asking God for, if you want to write these numbers down uh, somewhere in your bulletin or even on the card, we're asking God specifically for 275 people who are currently far from God, don't know God, don't know Jesus, don't have a relationship with Jesus, that God within that 500 would allow us to reach 275 people who currently don't know Jesus. Now, let me just stop. Can you imagine what the testimony of this church would be 
in this coming year, if God allowed us to see 275 people who did not know God giving testimony, getting baptized, saying, I know Jesus. That would be that would be phenomenal. And so what we're asking God for is within that 500, 275 would just be brand new people who don't know God, who will know God this coming year, come to know God this coming year. And then we're asking the other 225 that there are a lot of Christians who are around us who might move to this area that are disconnected. They don't have a home. They don't have a community they can be part of. They don't have a community they can be on mission with, a community they can serve and connect and give. And so we're asking that God would allow us to be introduced to 225 people who are Christians, but they're desirous to connect because right now they're currently disconnected. I will tell you, we are not asking for people to switch from a church to this church. We're not looking to take people who are already connected connected and committed to another church to be part of this church. But I know personally there are many people who, they are Christians, but when you ask them, well, do you have a church home, a community to be, no, I've never found one. Well, we're asking that God would allow us to reach 225 uh, of those people. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I do. This was back in October. There was uh, a uh, a great testimony shared in our encounters series that we did this past fall. His name is Tom Sawchuk. Tom sat up here in a chair next to me. And when I asked Tom, Tom, what is it that you really sense and believe that God's doing or wants to do in this community? Now, I was going to show you the video and um, actually had this whole thing transcribed out of his testimony. So Tom, I can give this to you later. But the one thing that I'm going to share with you and quote Tom, is this. God wants to use Genesis to win souls. For those of you who are here, he didn't say it in a half-hearted, yeah, God wants to use Genesis to win souls. The man stood up here with his arms and his best Stevie Wonder impersonation. God wants to use you. God wants to use Genesis to win souls. I didn't know Tom was going to say that. But when I heard that back in October, it was just one more affirmation that we're on the right path. That God wants to use this community to reach people who are far from God to begin a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, hand in hand with this ask. And again, I'm going to explain this rather quickly. I don't want you to see this as just some arbitrary number. This ask is very consistent with the mission that we feel compelled God gave us. Uh, If you're not familiar with the mission, there are signs all over the church that say, Genesis, begin, belong, believe. Now, Genesis, where we talk about begin, this is the mission. Genesis is a place where people can begin their journey with God, whether that be for the first time, anew, or be encouraged and equipped in the journey already begun. So we want people to begin. We want to reach people who don't know God so that they can know the God who now has set his affection on them. Secondly, the second aspect of our mission is belong. And so what we're asking for is in this 500, in this big number, we would see within our community 
70% of our entire community engaged, plugged, and connected into community groups. This is what our mission says as it relates to belong. Humanity longs to belong to someone or something. So Genesis is inviting people to belong to a community that's healthy, dynamic, authentic, and biblical. Genesis is a community that values relationships first and foremost with our creator and then with one another. We want to see 70% of our entire community engaged in a community group because we believe when people get in community groups, man, God just starts doing things. Lives, relationships start getting changed. And the third aspect of the ask within this number is that we would ask God to see 50% of our community, half of our community, engaged in being servants. Now, that might seem kind of low, but where we are right now, the amount of people that come to Genesis compared to the amount of people serving, currently serving in Genesis, is not 50%. So what we're asking God for is, God, would you raise up half of our community who would say, I'm not interested in serving, I want to grow as a servant. Because if you're a servant, you serve. That's just what you do. So we're not looking just for people to plug in and and fill holes, as it were. We're asking that within this number, God would allow 50% of our community to really grasp what it means to be a servant. And this is consistent with believe. It says, we believe that the life, death, resurrection of Jesus will transform the lives of those we believe. So the third aspect of our mission is not so much that this is just a doctrine we believe. It's our belief in this man, Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection radically reshapes how I live. I take on the person of Christ. Namely, I become a servant because that's who Jesus was. Now, we feel like this is a huge ask because where we are to where we're asking God to take us is absolutely a huge, huge ask. And what I'm excited about is it's causing us to ask for other things. Namely, now we're asking, God, would you raise up more godly men who are called and qualified to serve as elders? God, would you raise up godly men and women who are called and qualified character-wise to serve as deacons? God, would you raise up men and women who want to be members of this church, and not just by title, by signing a piece of paper, but to say, I'm not just dating the church, this is my church. I love it. I'm thankful to be part of it. I'm going to give to it. I'm going to serve. I'm, this is my church. We're asking that God would raise up more community group leaders because if we're shooting for 70% of our community, well, we need to like quadruple the amount of community groups we have. In order to do that, we need more community group leaders. We're starting something new called redemption groups. We need men and women who are called and qualified to serve as redemption group leaders. We're planting a church in South Boston. We're asking that God would take that and bless that and raise up a core community to even be willing to move to South Boston to say, I'm part of this. I want to help build the church here uh, in South Boston. Now, we're asking God that he would provide additional staff to help. Right now, we're so thankful that God has raised up Brants to be our lead pastor in South Boston. And Brantz, who you've met before, is leading worship right now, is serving in, in worship, but that's not his thing. He's a servant, so he's serving and meeting that need. 
But what we're asking for specifically in staffing is that God would raise up someone who would take on the role of worship pastor at the many churches we desire to plant in the coming years. Now, I want to just walk through this in just a few minutes or less because time is, is short. Why are we asking God for this? Because I want to be clear, of this is not some arbitrary thing that we just made up. Why are we asking God for 500? Well, number one, we felt led by God to do this. After much prayer and after much unity from the elders in our leadership community, we felt led by God to do this. Number two is we desire to see God glorified in our midst. We want this church to be a church that brings great glory to God. Number three, why we're asking uh, for this is we desire to see the kingdom of God expand. Now, the kingdom of God expanding means people who don't know God are coming to know God. Therefore, the kingdom is expanding. We want to be part of that. We want to be not just a club that meets. We want to be part of a community that's helping the kingdom of God to expand. Number four, this is a, I like this one. I like all of them. But number four, desire to see believers believe God for more. That's my way of saying I want you to come to the point where you believe that God wants to use you to do great things for his kingdom. Jim Simbla is an author, pastor in Brooklyn, in a great book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, wrote this. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mighty on our behalf. I share that quote because I hope that's the desire of us, is I, I want to see God at work in our midst. The uh, fifth reason of why we're asking God for this is we desire to see believers, meaning Christians, people who follow Jesus, be used by God to accomplish God-sized things. Four and five are very similar, but it's just simply, I want this community to be so part of being used by God to accomplish a God-sized thing. Stephen Furtick, another author, pastor, said this, I want to know what it means to live life and to do ministry at the speed of God. I want to see God do so much, so fast, that the world would have to take note. I desire that testimony for us that a year from now, people around us would have to take note, not at what you've done or what I've done, but God is in your midst. The testimony would be not of anything we accomplished, but of what God was doing in our midst. And then lastly, I don't know about you, but I really desire to see Genesis be a healthy community. Now, not the only aspect, but one major aspect of health in any community, church or any organization for that matter, is growth. Uh, there's a great book uh, called Soul Tsunami. Uh, Leonard Sweet said this, what is the difference between a living thing and a dead thing? How do you tell one from the other? In the medical world, a clinical definition of death is a body that does not change. Change is life. Stagnation is death. One aspect, not the only, but one aspect of a healthy community is a community that is growing, is vibrant, is dynamic, specifically in the church where people who don't know God are coming to know God. It breathes health into the life of the community. That's not an exhaustive list, but those are six reasons we felt led and compelled to ask God for the 500 this coming year. 
Now, I'm going to finish with just this question and, and share a change that is, is forthcoming. Some of you, and I hope all of you, would be like, this is awesome. I'm excited to be part of a church that actually wants to ask God to do great things. I hope you would say, I'm excited to be part of a church that just doesn't want to settle for what we already have and wants to see God do more. But I would have to believe that there's some of us who are the realists, like, okay, this is great, but let's be real. This is New England. This is greater Boston. People don't like God. People don't like church. So this is a great thing to ask for, but let's be, let's be real. How is this possible? Well, this is how it's going to be possible. This is how we sense and understand that the Lord is going to do these things in our midst. Number one is we're going to pray about it. We're going to ask God to do this. That's why you have a card that says 500 with your white box. You will remember that this is what we are asking God for as a church. Number two of, well, how is this actually going to happen? Well, number two, it's you. It's gonna, we're not going to come up with some slick marketing campaign of, no, it's, it's us, it's you, it's me. God wants to use you to reach people who are far from God so that they would know God through Jesus. How do we reach 500? Well, I could do the math pretty simply. Don't check me on this, but if there's roughly 150 to 170 of us in this community, if each of us would commit to saying, I want to reach two this year. I want to reach one who doesn't know God, and I want to reach one who's a Christian, but yet is just kind of floundering around without a community. If all of us would commit to saying, God, use me for two. Count me down for two, God. And we'd not just invite them to come to a service. We would invite them to be part of our lives. And we would walk with them as we encourage them to begin that journey with God or to help them connect in community. So how do we reach 500? You, me, God using us. Well, a third way that we sense the Lord is going to use this community to reach the 500 is we're going to start uh, in a few weeks an additional worship gathering. So this is going to be a significant change for our community. But on Sunday, January 22nd, we're doing something that we've never done before. We've always gathered at 10.30 a.m., but on Sunday, January 2nd, and moving forward into the foreseeable future, we will be a church that now has two gatherings. We will gather at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., two identical worship gatherings, one at 9 a.m. and one at 11 a.m. Now, some might ask, why are you doing this? Because if you look at the room right now, uh, you know, 100 plus, 125 people here. Well, we're not like maxed out. Well, we're not adding a second worship gathering because we're maxed out. We're adding a second worship gathering because we believe that God is going to bring people this year. And so we're creating space for people we don't even know yet. And we're trusting that God will make use this decision to have two gatherings instead of one to reach more people. Now, one of the things that I love about what this is going to do is it is going to encourage spiritual growth in our community. Because some of you who are currently not serving, we desperately need you to serve. Why? Because we're doing what we do on Sundays now twice. Genesis Kids is in desperate need of 
men and women who will love the kids that God is bringing. There's, on a given Sunday, 30 to 40 kids back there. Well, if we're doing two services and we believe God's going to allow us to reach more people, we need more people serving. Now that we have two gatherings, there's a greater need and a greater opportunity for you to serve. And we also believe that two gatherings is going to help spiritual growth in our community through community groups. The people that you would always count on seeing on a Sunday, well, you might not see them now because they're going to come to 9 a.m. and you're going to 11 a.m. And a good way to connect with that person that you love seeing is, well, I'm going to do community group with that couple, with that individual, with that person. So I realize this is a big, big change coming in 2012. But we believe that God is going to use this to help answer the ask. And then lastly, one of the things that we're going to start at the end of January is we're doing a brand new sermon series, uh, a series called I Do. Now, this sermon series that we're going to be doing uh, is a series that is geared towards uh, marriage. Uh, Now, for those of you who are maybe single, divorced, or widowed, I don't want your thought to be like, great, I've got to endure a series that makes no sense for me. Well, I don't believe that's actually true. So in January, the last Sunday in January, we're launching a brand new nine-week series that's going to take us all the way up to uh, the Easter season called I Do. And it's going to be a great series that engages whether you are single, whether you're divorced, whether you're married, whether your marriage is broken, whether it's going to be a series that engages all people in all seasons and walks of life. And we believe that this is going to be a great series for you to invite your single friend to, a great series to invite your married couple friends to. So starting in January, we're doing a, uh, a nine-week series called a I Do, a look at sex, friendship, and life together. Now, the beauty of this series is there's 200 other churches. They're not calling it this, but there's 200 other churches in the Acts 29 network we're going to be walking through this series on relationships together. So we're not just doing our own thing. I love that across the nation, there's going to be other churches that are honing in and focusing in on this very thing. Now, those are some big things that we see God doing to help reach the 500. Okay? Specifically praying, incessantly praying about it, uh, being used by God to reach the people, additional worship gathering, and the brand new series that we're starting. Now, I'm already way over time, but I have to say, uh, as we close, um, as leaders in the church, what is it we need most from you right now in the church? And I would say the first thing is ownership. That as you, I know a lot of you are hearing about this right now for the first time, what the big ask is that this would, not something, would, this would not be something that you just kind of from a distance say, well, this sounds like a great thing. That you would own this. And your attitude in your heart would be, I'm part of this. This is not just their thing. This is my thing. This is our thing. That we're in this together. That we together will be part of being used by God to do a great God-sized thing in this region. Where people will take note God is real. God is alive. God is personal. D.L. Moody uh, said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. 
and that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. I hope that would be our attitude is, I'm only one, I can't do everything, but I can, I am one. Our attitude would be, God, I want to own this. I don't want to just be a fanboy in the seats cheering a few other people on. God, give me a heart that would own what you're doing in this church. And if you own it, my encouragement would put a seatbelt on and hold on for a great ride that God's going to take us on. A second thing I would ask on top of ownership is that you, as this part of this church, is that you would be willing to commit. I feel like one of the toughest things uh, in ministry I've seen is people willing to say, sign me up. I'll commit to this. What do you need from me? And I'll meet that need. I, I hope as we head into 2012, understanding this big, big ask is that you would be willing to say, sign me up. I am committed to being part of this, what God is, is inviting us to be part of. And then the third and final thing of what we would need from you as a church is that you would do a great job of communicating with us. I realize that some of you might hear this message today, and the first thing that pops in your head is, great, now we're only a church that cares about numbers. All we care about now is just being a mega church. And you'd have that seed, that thought planted in your head. If that is something that you're thinking, I would challenge you to have the courage to talk to me about it, to talk to the other elders about it, and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Is this true? Because I would tell you, no, it's not true. Do we want to reach people? Absolutely. Don't you? And if we're going to reach people, that means we're going to grow. And that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing. I realize that change is not easy, but without change, there's just stagnation. Where there's stagnation, there's just death. You might walk away and you might start making other stuff up in your head of, well, they don't really care about me anymore. My needs aren't going to get met anymore. If that's what you're thinking of, well, this church is going to change. I like that it was kind of small where it was like cheers. Everyone knows your name. If, if you're thinking that, that's a real thought. It's, I'm not saying that's sinful. It's just a real emotion. I would encourage you, please share that so that we can walk through that emotion with you and say you realize that your greatest need is not just to have your need met, but is to be used by God to do God-sized things. And in, in that happening, all of your needs are getting met. Because this is a point in time in our church where division could just crush us. So please communicate. Uh, I think we'll have an email. It's a very simple email to remember. It's elders at genesisthejourney.com. Call. Shoot an email and just say, Hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. I'm concerned. I'm confused. Allow us to come alongside to say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Let's work through this. Let's pray together. This is an exciting time in our church. But I will bring it back to what are you asking God for? What do you want to see God do with you, in you, through you? Charles Spurgeon said this, God has great things in store for his people. They ought, to, they ought to have large expectations. I hope that you are expecting God to do great things in your life this year. 
I am fully anticipating and expecting God to do immeasurably more than what Kyle and I could ever ask him for in my neighborhood. And I fully believe that we have been led to ask God for this. But God is going to exceed our ask. That's just who God is. I can't out-ask God, but we're asking God for a God-sized thing, and I want you to be part of that. We want you to be part of that. So that our testimony 365 days from now would be like, that was an amazing ride. God, what's next? What's next? In the coming weeks, uh, I'm excited you'll get to hear from Jeremy and Brant and Paul as to how this ask is going to shape and in many ways reshape how things are done here from how we do community groups to how we do church planting. We're planting a church right now. Isn't that amazing? We're only two and a half years old. We're talking about starting gatherings in the spring. That's amazing. I'm excited for Paul to talk about redemption groups and what God is doing in just redeeming and healing and setting free people who are just enslaved to addictions and past pain. This month of January is going to be a phenomenal month and at the end of the month, we launch into a brand new series that we're trusting God is going to use to reach a lot of people. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who invites us to ask. God, I pray that uh, as I've been talking and sharing that, uh, God, that we, everyone that's here is already knows what they want to ask you for this year. So God, I, I pray that you would give great clarity for each of us, every single person that's here, every single person that would listen to this message in the weeks to come. God, that you would speak with absolute clarity and conviction what you want us to ask you for. And God, I pray that by your grace, we'd be relentless in asking God, I give thanks that you have really spoken in a powerful, powerful way to what we as a church are being invited to ask you for in 2012. And so, God, we are asking you for 500, that there would be new life in this church. People who are far from God would come to know you. God, only you can do that. We are asking to be part of you at work in our midst. God, we don't want to hinder your work, and we don't want to get in, in the way of what you're doing. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the opportunity, the privilege of partnering with you in what you're doing in the life of this community called Genesis in 2012. God, thank you for the invitation that we, sinful people, can ask you, not just for good things, but for God's size, for great things. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, we're going to just spend some time in worship and uh, celebrating communion. If you're a Christian today, uh, come celebrate communion. We do this to remember that we have a relationship with God because Jesus made it possible. We have a relationship with, with God because Jesus came to live the life that we could not. Jesus was without sin. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And by faith in what Jesus has done, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection, that we have life, peace, forgiveness of our sins, and we're made right with God both now and forever. If you've made that decision to trust Jesus for peace with God, then come celebrate communion today. Give thanks to God for 
that great gift. And if you're not a Christian, today, what a day to begin a relationship with God. By prayer, by faith, ask Jesus to come into your life, forgiving you for your sins, and asking Jesus to make you the man or woman he desires you to be. Say that prayer so simply, but so profoundly, and begin that relationship, and come celebrate communion today.